Hello, welcome to Dust Busters, your inseparable companion podcast to His Dark Materials. I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm a huge fan of the His Dark Materials book series. And I'm Louisa Maycock. Jake and I have been together for almost 10 years, and I have never read a single one of these books. And this is our exploration into Series 2, Episode 3, Theft. Now, I've stolen over 10 hours of Louis' time now going into this series, and if things go to plan, I'll be stealing at least another 10 or maybe more. But right now, we're in the middle of the events of Book 2, which is The Subtle Knife, and it's a pivotal book for opening up the worlds of his dark materials. But how is this series opening up? Let's first remind ourselves of what we saw last week. Louis, what happened in episode two? We went over this just before recording, and it's... Again, it's all fallen out of my brain. I don't know if anyone listening is having a similar sort of experience at the moment, or this past year. Just the old memory. Can't keep things in the brain. But I think with some helpful prompts, Mm. Jake's going to help me along. Okay, um, well, we normally take things by character and yes. location. Um, what did Will and Lyra do? They went into our world. They travelled into our Oxford, and Lyra met Dr. Mary Malone, who was an expert in dark matter. Nice, and what, what was she up to with Lyra? Talking through the alethiometer, um, connecting Lyra up to her computer cave reading some stuff feeling some th- things you're not wrong all of that very much happened um and lyra bumped into someone in the museum boreal yeah. or as i want to keep calling him lord boreas <laughs> i don't know why oh no we, we don't want any Borises becoming lords um <laughs> yes lyra did meet boreal at the museum and Will, we got an extension of his family. Mm-hmm. His grandparents. Um, he met up with them. Didn't go very well. And they called the police on him. Because obviously he's still wanted for the death of someone. Yes, indeed. And so at the end of the episode, both Lyra and Will run back into Chittigatse. Um Mrs. Coulter, we saw her up to her old tricks she was doing her best sort of Machiavellian um, act and pulling all the strings in the um, ministry (laughs) magisterium is that what it's called magisterium magisterium Mrs Coulter was pulling the strings in the magisterium yep Um, and then she found out that Lyra had gone through the bridge in the sky and so just kind of decided that she was so over it her priorities suddenly shifted and she has to go after lyra once again exactly so that very concisely covered everything that happened in (laughs) in last week's uh, episode in quite rich detail and now it's time to jump into series two episode three theft So 
So as we mentioned, we split these up into characters and their various geographical locations. We're going to kick things off with uh, Lee Scoresby and Mrs. Coulter. At the end of the previous episode, we saw that the witch's homestead had all been destroyed by the Magisterium. And there is lots of kind of platitudes about destiny and life and uh, that dialogue that we mentioned that the witches maybe aren't the best at handling like witches hear me (laughs) (laughs) and it's a bit like toast of london sometimes um but then we jump to a figure a mysterious figure in a hood he's covered in pretty rad looking tattoos uh he's got a cool ring and he sends a message across the wind to lee and you're clued into something straight away, Louis. What did you say? I thought, you know what? I'd recognise that chin anywhere. I think that's Andrew Scott. And who is Andrew Scott? Will's dad. But why would Will's dad be here? He's obviously gone on some sort of journey. And he's ended <laughs> he's up... He's been through a lot. He's ended up as some sort of woodland king. That's that's my theory. The woodland king? Yep. Yep. I like that. Um, so the Woodland King sends Lee Scoresby a message and Lee arrives at uh, the Samirsky Hotel and we mentioned last week Louis you're playing a lot of The Witcher 3 mm-hmm. at the moment and although it's getting f- far too hard for me now no you're in the expansion packs now yes yeah, too hard everything is too hard uh, but as soon as this came up I don't know Witcher and we haven't watched the TV series. Maybe that's the next edition of this show. <laughs> Is that you're an expert in The Witcher and we can watch The Witcher series. Um, but you said this looks like The Witcher. Yeah. Um, the, the, the the landscape and the buildings remind me of Novigrad. Okay. And I'm sure that means a lot to some of you out there. Uh, to me, it was kind of a Victoriana meets a bit like a Western as mm-hmm. well. Kind of a saloon type yeah. feel. Um, a bit Westworldy. And Lee enters this hotel, uh, and this is in Nova Zembla, uh, which is Dutch, for Novaya Zemlya, which is a Russian archipelago that actually exists in our world. Uh, so this is a nice bit of the Pullman style of, of bringing stuff in, like language that we do know, language that we don't, stuff that feels familiar, stuff that might just be a translation. Um, and I doubt they would get into this in the series. But it's here that Yorick got his armour originally as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and he's... So Lee's here. He's investigating Stanislas Grumman, who knows of an object that can protect Lyra. And you've got Lin-Manuel maybe doing, like, his best work in the show so far. I think far. he's doing his most work. Most work, yeah. I think that's that's a good point, because Lee... We're, all, we're always told that Lee is a big character, an important character, and you attach an actor like that to it. And maybe up to this point, we haven't actually felt the weight of that character. No, I had been waiting for him to have more of a front seat type role. Mm. Yeah, because he sort of flits in and out so far. Yeah, and The Subtle Knife is very much a Lee Scoresby book. Yeah. Um, And I'm glad we're getting more of him. And very good... Lin-Manuel uh, kind of getting into how Lee can fight but he's not much of a fighter as much as he can shoot he's he's charming he's funny and in that uh, in the scene in the hotel 
he gets information about Stanislas Grumman through his skill talking to people. And uh, <laughs> he managed to nod along to a very boring story from a guy at a bar. And Louis, I mean, you must know this. You, you <laughs> nod along to my boring conversations I'm every week. I'm 100% <laughs> locked in to whatever you're saying all the time. Yeah. Um, you'd make a very good Lee Scoresby. Uh, so Lee, I don't Lee, think I could get away with facial hair. I think you could pull off the hat and yeah, the revolver. <laughs> definitely not the um, the goatee. What about the accent? No. <laughs> so Lee gets sent up towards an observatory where there's a priest-like character. Uh, they converse. Lee says that he's investigating Grumman. This lad says that Grumman's a heretic and it's it's a gun show and things don't go very well. It was quite a weird experience suddenly having guns mm. i think we've maybe spoken about this mm. in throughout season one they feel so out of place yes um i think it's quite good that here then the gun play it's not very cool like lee's falling over yeah. the other guy doesn't know what to do really yeah and it's, it's all a bit embarrassing in a way like the guy dies accidentally mm-hmm. and Lee's clearly troubled by it but you don't feel like this was super macho no it's definitely not the um western standoff between two people no not at all um and so this this chap that's in the observatory this is Dr Haley who's this is a name that was not we're not actually given in the book um and he's played by Angus Wright and as soon as I knew his voice before I knew his face, where did you pick this up, Louis? I think, is he the historian from Peep Show? Yes, indeed. In yeah. the late series of Peep Show. So he invites Mark to go mole mapping, they have a, <laughs> to have a colonoscopy and then a pint of IPA. <laughs> um, and as soon as I heard that voice, that's what I could hear. And I'm thinking, yeah. are we going to see Lee Scoresby have a colonoscopy and oh, an IPA? No. Um Unfortunately, they didn't. They didn't have that. He died. <laughs> I can't believe you just said. You just said, "Are we going to see Lee Scoresby having a colonoscopy?" This is a family show, Jake. <laughs> I've always actually quite fancied having a colonoscopy out of interest. You know, when I die, I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking, "Oh, I wish I knew what it was like to have a colonoscopy." Oh, that's an achievable dream. I also do want to get my moles mapped. That's something I do need to do. Maybe we just need to loop you in with the fictional character <laughs> Angus Wright <laughs> from Peep Show. I mean, that sounds like the kind of day out I would... I mean, I don't drink IPA, but the other two things. Yeah. Um, well, in in this case, it leads to Lee getting captured by the police yeah. and getting thrown in a cell. And now we, kind of, we get the bringing together of two forces yeah. in one of the best scenes of this series so far. Mm-hmm. So this is when Mrs. Coulter, who is now tracking Lyra rather than dealing with Magisterium stuff, she finds herself at the hotel, which ultimately leads to finding Lee trapped in his cell. And I think for the first time, even though we've had, we see McAvoy, who is like a big star. The show holds back their st- its stars. Yes. It definitely doesn't give us... I mean, there are the names, mm. and you get excited, but they never give you loads of them. 
And then when this happened, it felt, yeah. it felt like it like we were gorging on a treat. It something. was like if you put a mento into a bottle of diet. <laughs> <laughs> and it, oh, it's, it was so much fun because she's once again got a great outfit. It looks like something out of a Douglas Sirk film. It's just it's, it's like a red velvet trench coat, the red mm. beret. I think it's red suede. Oh, great boots as well. And this off- is a look that this is one of Mrs. Quarter's looks that I would wear. Well, and after last week, she was. Looks great in funeral wear. What sh- what can't she wear? She looks quite M and S actually. This one mm. is quite a Marks and Spencer's type styling, like the all in red, the beret, the trench, the black boot. So maybe she needs to go through to our world and then <laughs> go to the high street. Yeah, yeah. Go to M and S. Yeah, she'll love it. Yeah. Um. So this scene, <laughs> we might be laughing, but this scene's quite intense. No, it's very intense. Yeah, and. This is where I think we're, we're finally getting that, that star power. We've got these two big names, Lin-Manuel and Ruth Wilson, and they're clearly having a great, great time. She is, like, chewing over every sentence. But he, he reads her straight away. Mm. He they rec- he recognises something in her, obviously. she We don't know much about her background at all, do we? Mm. Um, and Lee instantly... Um, pinpoints that she's had a violent childhood or yep. unloving parents um, uh, and Lee can reciprocate that because he's experienced the same mm. so they he sort of sees her as almost a kindred spirit or has a fat has found a weak spot in her yeah and he's very Han Solo in this scene I felt that means nothing to me well I, he's Despite the situation, despite everything that's piled on top of him, he still seems quite carefree about it. He's he, not, still... he doesn't seem scared. No, and, but he maintains his honour. He's got this almost swagger in, in the face of all this adversity. Um, and to someone like Mrs. Coulter, who is always used to being able to manipulate, being able to win the conversation, she knows that she can't hear. Mm. And she respects it. And that's not something we've seen from her. There's good demon interaction in this scene as well, which adds to that intensity. We know about demons and touch and how sensitive that feeling is to them. Uh, And so the golden monkey threatening Hester, Lee's demon, grabbing her by the throat, that feels really horrible. Um, And again, credit to them for establishing those relationships so well. But that's not the most interesting demon interaction with this, because that comes after, Mm -hmm. after Mrs. Coulter leaves. Well, Mrs. Coulter in this scene is completely... She's disarmed, isn't she? She's... She struggles to keep... Maintain the facade of being, you know, cool, cold. Um, Mrs. Coulter, the, the character that we've come to know so far. She leaves the cell and she has to take a moment to collect herself and... In a very rare, quick moment, her demon takes hold of her hand. Um, really striking, interesting moment. Yeah, and particularly because that's maybe when we've been made aware of how little connection those two characters have compared to Lyra and Pan and how much we know of their intimacy and how strong they converse this is the one time where we've seen a a bit of vulnerability and a bit of empathy between those two characters. 
I feel like in that's in that moment she's almost reverting back to being childlike. Mm. You know, if a child is sent to time out mm. facing the wall. Yeah, and the monk her demon just it was just an interesting interaction. Mm, absolutely. Um but Mrs. Coulter eventually gets a note saying that uh cluing her into where Lyra is and so she decides to help Lee. She gets the golden monkey maybe to do the only good thing the golden monkey's done, um, which is to uh, knock out a guard by bonking its demon, <laughs> a snake. <laughs> um, and she gives Lee the keys and Lee breaks out, thanks to Mrs. Coulter, because she's on this quest to get Lyra and Lee is on a quest that will help protect Lyra. So for both of them, this is a win. Um, this feels like we have finally got Lee Scoresby. Like, the quest is finally there for him. Like, that character has begun, even though it's 11 episodes in. <laughs> um, but as much as it's a Lee episode, it's a Mrs. Coulter one. I wanted to ask you, Louis, at this point, where's your trustometer on Mrs. Coulter? I definitely trust her more than I did towards the beginning of season one. Mm. The more I see of her, the more I like her. Yeah. Which, always the best kinds of villains. Who's she a villain? That's the best kind of villain. Yeah, I I think she's not... I don't think she's 100% to be trusted. But the odd thing is, she is maybe the character that I I love seeing on screen Mm -hmm. the most as well. Like, and... Because you're excited to see her, you end up rooting for her. Exactly. And that's that's a like full credit to Ruth Wilson for that performance as mm-hmm. well, for making us get on her side. Um, so we we get a tiny Yorick scene. Um, Yorick's essentially he's just getting um, a bit of an update, <laughs> just getting a, getting the news, getting the the company wide email, letting yeah. you know what's going on between everyone, um, and a bit more of this stuff about prophecies and destiny there is a there was a full screen big close-up of him as he was talking and he does look amazing still i mean yeah he's a big scary bear but he's he's cgi i'm dressed i'm dressed after him today yeah oh yeah you are yeah, <laughs> i'm wearing a sort of like an off-white tracksuit. okay right moving on we've got mary malone who swooped in last week Louis uh, and you immediately proclaimed her your new love your new favourite character and she's up to her old tricks doing science (laughs) she's attached her dark matter machine to the box of I Ching which is something Lyra told her would be important I have no idea what the I Ching is okay so I don't know whether they will get into this should we play it can we get a well, it's not actually a game, and I, oh. I think that... Is it a book? No, she's reading a book about it. So, I Ching is like, is an ancient Chinese divination technique, in the same way that you might read tea leaves, mm-hmm. or something like that. That's what I Ching is. She's studying it because all of these sticks in it would have been handled by lots of different people and so you as we talked about last week that this machine interacts with things that have had human interaction and so it makes sense that this I Ching device have lots of dust around it and so Mary reprograms the cave to talk a bit more basic which I liked because that was more like how it is in the book where it's just like 
yes, no type <laughs> answers rather than talking in the alethiometer language. And she reads this book on I Ching, which has the sentence, to the mind that is still, the entire universe surrenders, which is, I suppose, that's the description of how you get into that alethiometer reading headspace, that it is this still mind that allows you to... Access more. Yeah, and, and enter into the consciousness of the world. If we are, or the universe, if we are looking at these as dust, as conscious particles, that's how you would engage with them. So essentially, it's just vibe. <laughs> just vibe with it. Uh, download Headspace. <laughs> just chill out, and then you'll be able Stop to Stop checking it. your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, turn off notifications for a bit, and then you'll be able to enter and converse with the makeup of the I universe. I bet. You know who would be really good at this? Who? David Lynch. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Transcendental meditation stuff. Yeah, he could read the alethiometer, like, so easily. Oh yeah, I mean, he's been in on this for decades, Mm -hmm. like, him and Pullman. They know all about... Like, even now, he probably knows we're talking about him. He'll be in LA, like, hmm. Doing his weather report. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's uh, thinking about me. Mary gets into this headspace, she's doing her I Ching stuff, the cave computer lights up it gets very excited the code comes down it looks like the opening of the matrix and it's all very exciting uh and then mary goes and visits her sister and i was wondering louis what you felt about this scene where we've got her sister we've got kids coming around and we know that mary used to be a nun now she's converted to science um how you felt about this scene and what it might be suggesting Well, it sort of sets up that she is a single woman. Um, Obviously, as a nun, you're married to the Lord. Um, But now she's married to science, I'm imagining. And uh, it was, I think it was an easy way to make her seem more human, to give her a family. Um, And we're so used to career women in films and TV sort of the same old narrative of juggling, you know, having to choose between being career-led or being a mother and a wife. So I think it was an interesting way of positioning her sort of outside that. Mm. Um, So she's obviously very close with her uh, nieces and... Were they both with her nieces and nephews or were they... I think it was niece and nephew. Yeah. um, Obviously very close with them, um, but... There's n- was none of those wasn't any of the old trope of you know old spinster mary yeah i i think yeah she's not pining over that life yeah um and she feels so excited and like happy about her work and i love that about her as a character and perhaps even putting this scene in which may incept the idea of a lack of family around her perhaps a betrayal of that that by doing it to suggest what she doesn't need you in fact plant the idea of it it's sort of like there's no such thing as an absence because Mm. by mentioning an absence it's present yes um but also she's just cool aunt mary she She gives the kids a snack which is i think it was a muesli bar but that's not the end of mary in this episode she and Lyra meet together. And so let's get into that. Because Lyra has left Chittagatse. She's left a little note for Will. They're heading in to go and meet with Mary. Uh, puts Pan in a rucksack. 
I wish I could just put Peggy in a bag and she would happily just sit down, just happy to be there for the ride. I don't think Pam's very happy. (laughs) (laughs) He seems quite content. Yeah. 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 Um, He's a good good demon. Well, she goes to meet Mary and then D.I. Walters with his terrible moustache, no matter what. (laughs) Lyra might say. I liked it. Well, I think I think it's a bit rubbish. And this is coming from me, someone who has a definitely rubbish mustache. You don't have a rubbish rubbish <laughs> mustache. It's just his was more twirled. Mm. And I don't trust a mustache twirler. No. Generally in life. I think if someone you can you can we hear Peggy's snoring? You sleep again, Peg. Yeah, she's good. <laughs> I can't remember what I was saying. Um, Never trust a moustache twirler. <laughs> well, uh, that's exactly what Lyra does. Mm-hmm. Because D.I. Walters uh, tries to get info about her from her and Mary. And even though Lyra is pretending to be Lizzie, she slips up, mentions that she knows where Will is, and this starts a chase sequence, which is a very cool chase sequence with it. Like, tactical demon usage, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. Pan, help me out! And then he turns into a GPS bird. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And just darting around the streets of Oxford once more. And then she's saved because a nice man rolls up and uh, says that he can help her and protect her. And that is, of course... Lord Boreas. <laughs> <laughs> Boreal. Boreal. Yeah. Yes. Well, Boreal picks her up. Drives her away, um, she gets a bit worried, gets out of the car, what's happened? He's only gone and stolen the alethiometer. only gone and done it, hasn't he? Yeah, and Will's um, not best pleased because he needs to ask the alethiometer about his dad. Yeah, yeah, not good at all. Um, Because Will's woken up by himself. In Chittagatse, he's got his dad's letters out. He's excited to go and get Lyra. But all he finds is Angelica. Uh, And we've been looking at Angelica for three weeks now. So thinking, who is she? And has this been annoying you as well? Mm -hmm. Bella Ramsey, the young, cool queen, Leanna Mormont in Game of Thrones. Oh, yes. Yes. The one who is in charge. Yeah. Yeah. I just, oh, you know well what she's done. she's also currently playing in a reboot on TV? What? The Worst Witch. Really? Yeah. So, well done, Bella Ramsey. Great work so far. Um, and she she's good here. And before Will jumps back into our world to find Lyra, she points out that there is someone in the tower in the centre of Chittagatse. And uh, even though there's no way in or no way out... Hmm, interesting. If only there was a way in or out of places that we might have established so far. You're looking at me blankly, Louis. I'm listening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Will jumps into our world, finds Lyra, very sad because she's lost the alethiometer. Um, Not good. Very bad, don't do it. Um, Why wouldn't you just keep it on your person all the time like when you used to have um belt holders for your mobile 
Like the little pouch I've just got for Peggy's treats. Yeah. You clip it onto your jeans. And what is a greater treat but knowledge? Exactly. Yeah. Got to keep it safe, people. Don't put it in a drawstring rucksack. No. Especially not in a tourist city. (laughs) Pickpockets everywhere. Yeah, you've got experience with that, Louis. Remember when your phone got nicked in Paris? Oh, thank you for reminding me of that time. Yeah. A, a tragic time. It really was. Do you remember you lost your shoe? I did, yes. That was when I was having my injured foot time as well. <laughs> God, what a manic few minutes that was when we realised You ran that. after the perpetrator. Yeah, with one shoe with on. With one shoe. Did you find the other shoe? Yeah, I think I found the shoe. It's a lesson in just don't be naive in big cities. No, and keep your alethiometer on you at all times. And not on a table in front of you in a Starbucks. So Will and Lyra... They need to regroup. They've got to get a plan together. But also, you know, they've got to try and feel better. So there's only one thing that you can do at this point. If you've got a few hours to while away, somewhere warm, where time sort of becomes elastic. Mm. It might just be my favourite place in all of the world, or even worlds, who's to say. They go to the cinema This made me feel so nostalgic. Oh, gosh. I was so excited just to see them walk into it and to think Lyra has not been to the cinema and that this is first experience. And already I'm so excited that this is happening. And then not only are they going to the cinema, they're watching Paddington. (laughs) And for people who know Jake will know that the Paddington films are probably... Would you say they're in your top five? Well, I, I do think that they are some of... The, perfect films. They are <laughs> absolutely perfect films. Um, and they, They're they utterly magical. And because, like, I realised we got Yorick earlier. We got Paddington here. In terms of my favourite fictional bears, this is the, to, the top two. Paddington wins. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Paddington's great, um, but Yorick is is wonderful, and they're both there within uh, like a few minutes of each other. So, I, I what about say, Winnie the Pooh? Get out, mate. Compared, <laughs> compared to Paddington or Yorick, God, uh, no, no chance, no chance. Um, and they watch Paddington, and, it, and it's wonderful. And there was this music cue that I heard drifting in the background. And I listen to the Paddington score a lot because it gets me through my, my work day. And I thought, I know that cue. If they're playing this scene and they cut to that scene, I'm going to lose it. And I did lose it. Because it's in Paddington 1 when Hugh Bonneville is showing Paddington a projection of the explorers in Paddington's home forest. And it's a film of his home. And... Paddington steps up to the projection on the wall and steps through it into the forest and he walks around and he picks up an orange and he smells it and he turns around and his his world is once again filled with life and memory and sensory experience because of cinema. And I've tweeted about this before that to me this scene in Paddington (laughs) is the ideal reflection of what I believe film can do. And so the fact that Will and Lyra went to see Paddington and that they watched that scene as her first introduction to cinema was wonderful. And then she talked through it. (laughs) 
but what can you do? I mean, I'll, I'll accept that I got Paddington. But she, she also had exactly the same reaction to popcorn that you have. Yeah, sort of, I don't even like it that much, but if it's there, I can't stop. Mm. Like, I don't... Popcorn is one of the most overrated snacks. Yeah. It's not fitting. It's devoid of any nutritional value. It's also hard to digest. Mm. But, God... Popcorn is everywhere. <laughs> Get stuck in your teeth. It's full of added things that you don't want. Yeah. If you try and make it at home, it burns. And I, I used to work at a cinema and, well, most of my Friday and Saturday nights were spent sweeping it up. But then if I have a craving for it, it's... I just must have it. <laughs> well, well, unfortunately, we, we don't stick around to watch all of Paddington as much as we'd like That'll to have an extra That'll be your dream. <laughs> Well, they're just halfway through Dark Materials. They just play all of Padding. <laughs> and then go back to the rest of the episode. Yes. Um, shout out to previous guest of the podcast, Irena Musumeci, who I imagine is having a, a similarly emotional reaction to this combination of her <laughs> great loves of his Dark Materials and Paddington as well. So Paddington's over, but Will and Lyra have got a plan together. They go to Boreal's house in Oxford um, amazing house. Ama- so, what other house in this episode did you say was amazing? The house in um, Chitigatze. Exactly. Which, funnily enough, in a wide shot, we noticed has an advert for Negroni on, some, on the side. <laughs> so, Negroni is so popular that it manages to travel between worlds. <laughs> um, but yes, you said that Will and Lyra's hub house in Chitigatze. And. Well, it's more sort of. It's got, like, Middle Eastern vibes in yes. terms of interior design. But... Drapering, fabric, cushions, different colours. Then you go to Boreal's house, and it's just Farrow and Ball, Hague Blue, all the walls, maybe even the ceiling, sort of, like, city investment banker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And also, like... Um, as much as it's very cool, it's it's devoid of life. It is an exhibit of a house. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has... I don't know if you... Did you notice anything similar about the stairwell? No. It's the same as in Will and Lyra's house in Chitigatse, with the two sets of stairs coming down from either side. Oh, no, I didn't notice that. And so that, that same stairwell is it's in... It's a metaphor. Well, yeah, you've got these two worlds coming together down <laughs> yeah. these steps. And they're in Will and Lyra's house, they're in Lord Boreal's house. Yeah. And, and in where... the title sequence as well, all the stairs. Exactly! I think, well, they really thought all of this through, haven't they? And they, they really did, because the visual effects artists and designers of the show worked from the amber spyglass backwards, rather than starting with Northern Lights and then developing their designs for everything there. It was work from the Amber Spyglass where our idea, the ideas and the imagination is at its biggest and craziest, and then work back and think, okay, if we're going for that, what is the version that's slightly reduced and slightly reduced and slightly reduced to get back to Northern Lights, and how would that design evolve naturally across the show? I, I wonder how many properties Boreal has. You think he's a magnate? I think he has a few. Yeah. And, I mean, how many worlds are there? We've seen two so far. Mm, exactly. So he's at least got two properties. Yeah, and he's got an alethiometer. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Lyra and Will, who 
have unfortunately now been revealed to be themselves to him set up a deal that they're going to go back to their world and get this knife and it's normal request normal yep. trade and he will give her the alethiometer but I don't trust him you don't trust Lord Boreal? I don't think he will give it back so easily and I don't think they'll be able to get the knife so easily either whoa and just how subtle will it be because if it's really subtle then we might not even notice it yes you're absolutely right um (laughs) well talking of things that aren't subtle uh they set up this agreement and then the final shot of this episode is this close-up on lyra and she just goes we'll get your knife (laughs) (laughs) she's having her moment let her have her moment but it it was like set up like a proper hero shot like we're gonna get a really cool thing here and it just is just re-establishing what the previous conversation was (laughs) but that was a, a minor quibble with an episode that was very much strong on character for me. Like I really enjoyed a lot more of the interactions of it, less so the plotting mm-hmm. of this one. Plot didn't feel as important. I never. And that's, fine. that's my main issue with most stuff. Yeah. I just don't care for the plots. Yeah. Fair enough. Unless it's a sort of true crime. Hmm. Yeah, that it's the character. And he wills a murderer. That is true. Yeah. But the good kind. Exactly. That, I mean, that's a true crime hook right there. Mm. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Will's actually a murderer, but a good kind? <laughs> Maybe if, if the intro was like that, you might be more into it. Um, well, I think there was good momentum in this one. I felt the stakes getting raised nicely. Um... Uh, no magisterium which kind of helped I just yeah I don't care for the magisterium yep Um, I always bring up structure on this show what's really interesting about these the two books that we've looked at so far Northern Lights in terms of time span of events like that's months that is a long adventure and we go through all of these different locations and characters and it is like this big big journey and the subtle knife is like so far, we've we're in episode three, maybe a couple of days. Mm. Like it's it's a very it's a smaller book than Northern Lights, and it's smaller in terms of scale, like that. So it's like they're zooming in, and magnifying things. Yeah, and this is so it's arguably a chance to focus more in on characters because you're getting more of that day to day interaction. Um, I have a question. Yes, is there so the the portals into the different worlds? Mm. Are there multiple doors or there's there's just one? So it was casually mentioned in this one that the Chittagatse world is like a gateway. In a between. Mm. Yeah. And so I, I kind of had this feeling that because The Subtle Knife as a book is quite episodic, chapter by chapter, it has a very cause and effect relationship to plot. And that's a harder thing to do in TV because you want to make something feel like it's overarching all the time, that it is carefully threaded throughout. Um, And a lot of the things that we've seen already in this series would have been quickly following into the next event. And it does mean that it it doesn't feel quite as cleanly plotted as it does in the book. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm hoping that that we're going to be rewarded for that in the back half of the series as we've seen already three episodes here that are pretty much all set up and hopefully that will mean that 
that setup starts coming together. Chittagatse, uh, yeah, is this this meant to be this gateway world? And at the moment, it kind of feels more like a roundabout, mm-hmm. and we're just going around the roundabout rather than going off in all of the directions, taking an exit, or <laughs> or we're going, we're making an exit, but then we're turning around, coming yeah, back, coming back, going around, going back. Yeah. Um, but I promise, uh, if you stick with it, we 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 will make perhaps multiple exits. Who can say? But a, a good one this week. Uh, very exciting, that's for sure. But more importantly than any of this, it's time to find out what demon Peggy is this week. So we don't, we don't make this up. No. Peggy genuinely is asleep on Louis' lap through all of these episodes. Um, Today it's been... It's, this week's been trickier finding the time for her to nap enough for us to get this done she's been on a mad one this past weekend but right now she's conked out lying on her back on my lap with her legs splayed wide her head lolling backwards dreaming of squirrels or cats or treats and uh i've actually had some pre-thought as to what demon she is this week Mm mm-hmm and I think this week, Peggy is a fruit bat. Okay, explain. Well, she's really into... When we're, when we're eating stuff, yeah. she really wants them. And I know anyone who's an expert in dog training, you should not feed them human food when they're little because their tummies are delicate and things. But I was thinking, surely if just a tiny bit of apple, she's teething, so the crunchiness would feel good for her teeth and she absolutely loved it Mm. so now she's just if i eat an apple she clambers i have to hold it above my head in between taking bites because she just loves it so much and um she also enjoys she quite enjoys being held like a baby and her head backwards upside down like a bat so her ears pop up she's got big big ears yeah so when she upside down they they flick out yeah I think fruit bat is perfect for this week. And Maybe she'll settle as a fruit bat. Well, I'm I'm glad to have a fruit bat in the house compared to the shark and the polar bear of the last. The shark, of weeks. she's still very teethy, mm. toothy. Mm. She is, but she's a fruit bat for now. So, if you want to keep up with us on social media as we update. Probably mostly pictures of Peggy, but maybe other I stuff. Keep, I'm, I've almost set Peggy up an Instagram page, but I'm just trying to figure out the perfect introductory photograph. What, what's your Instagram so people... What's your Instagram? My and Instagram people, is Louisa Florence. And then from that, people can find Peggy when that launches, because I'm sure our listeners the, are desperate to see the what account Peggy actually the, looks like. The account is there, but just has no posts, so it okay. looks like she's a bot. <laughs> <laughs> Peggy is a confirmed bot. And I'm on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham if you want to find me. And we will be back next week for Season 2, Episode 4, The Tower of the Angels. Dustbusters is produced by Jake Cunningham. Our music is by Dan Yakano and our artwork is by Sam Mason. <laughs>